intros and then we can do we can do our hellos so okay. Welcome, okay welcome to brave space live a show about anti-oppression communal healing each week we pick a hard-hitting topic and dive right into the awkwardness um it's, it's gonna be real awkward because it's just us i feel like we've had a guest for the last couple of weeks and i miss them are you calling us awkward <laughs> <laughs> well, yes okay we're so today, yeah we're gonna we'll lean in we'll lean in uh, I'm Tyshell. I'm a trained clinical social worker, educator, and diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner. And this is my co-host. I am Mel. I'm an author, an activist, and a social ethicist. Uh, yeah, I'm calling us awkward. One, because we know a lot about a lot or a lot about a little, but I love having other people with other perspectives because sometimes I'm just like, what? Yeah. And also, this is me being awkward, and this is a pimple patch that I forgot to take off. So, <laughs> I didn't notice you shouldn't miss anything. <laughs> I just, I just noticed it, like, and, and I'm gonna leave it there because you know what? Getting rid of acne is inclusive. <laughs> I'm just self, Self care. I don't. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Self health care. There we go. Um, so today's topic is all about affirmative action. What it is, what it isn't. Is it reverse racism? We'll find out. I don't know. Uh, we'll leave the honestly. We'll ask the question, and we'll kind of we're gonna do some myth busting. Um, Mel's gonna ask talk talk to me about some of the myths and things that she's heard, and we'll talk about them together. But honestly, the question will probably remain at the end because we can't make up your minds for you. We can just present what we know, the facts, all of the other things, and, and share data with you. And you know, we'll talk about it just like we always talk about everything else. Yes. So in my conversations with a lot of people, you know, especially on the right, uh, a lot of white, mostly white folks, when I have these conversations, um, there is a lot of racial in resentment around affirmative action. And I think it's because a lot of people don't really know what affirmative action is. And in fact, I myself, as someone who does, you know, this kind of work, a lot of anti-racism work, I still don't know a lot about affirmative action, how it actually works. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to learning from you, Taishel, because this is the literal the kind of work that you do professionally. So I'm looking forward to being educated myself during this episode. So affirmative action. Um, so the general understanding, I think that per, is in the popular imagination is mm -hmm. that affirmative action is like just um, like favoring people of color and minorities and like you make getting them jobs and getting them in them. Sorry. is like, this is like not me speaking, but this is like the popular conception, getting them quote unquote into jobs and higher education. So it's like playing It's like, it's like state sanctioned favoritism. A lot of people think so let's, you want to say something about that? And then we can. I mean, so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to give like a clinical definition. I will say, or like a, a, a legal definition because there are legal scholars, um, equal opportunity, employment, equal op, I forget that. There's two E's, it's EEOC, but I can't remember what the first E is. Well, it's Equal Opportunity Employment Commission that kind of is part of 
you know, regulating what affirmative action looks like in part while you're in a job. Um, but affirmative action overall comes out of the 1964 Civil Rights Act in that there was, you know, and still, I mean, honestly still is a disproportionate amount of people of color not in jobs and getting jobs or in higher education. And we can talk about what that looks like and how it affects people and what I think also one of the things that we can talk about too is what that looks like for people because we're when we talk about affirmative action it's often in this binary of black and white so what about folks who are not those who don't identify as those two races that's the yeah, yeah. but yes let's dog dive into some so, of the myths that couple you questions couple like dumb questions before we get started is affirmative action like legally required for corporations and universities yes but it depends on how it's written and what it looks like. So we'll talk about that in terms of like what it looks like for what people call quotas, but it is a legal requirement to not discriminate, to not hire people of color. So that can be an issue and it depends. And the reason that it is for companies and schools is because after you, you know, if, if it's just, if I hire, a, it's a family business and we got five people working, I can't demand that you have a certain number of people of color if you have a family business. But a corporation, for-profit companies, universities and things like that, it is legally required to have, to not, I won't say le legally required to have a certain number, but you're legally not allowed to discriminate and keep out those groups of people. Okay, so that's an important distinction, right? Because like, so, according to the Civil Rights Act, you can't discriminate against people for hiring, right? You can't discriminate based on the, their race for hiring, for example. Um, so is affirmative action a way to prove that you're not discriminating or does the government legally require affirmative action in particular? Do you know what I'm saying? So, yes. So it's a little bit muddled in, in my understanding of it as, non, as a non-legal scholar. Part of it is that there is some work around affirmative action, what it looks like to be able to have certain numbers of people to be allowed to allow groups, certain groups to be able to be employed, but not because if we're, there is work around affirmative action, but if we just say you have to have people of color, what does that mean? Is there a numerical value or because then it's like, you have to have seven black people for every 45 white people. There isn't work in that legality, but there is um, legal scholarship and um, legal writings around how many, or or that you should have people of color. I don't know if I'm being as clear because I, I, I like I said, I haven't read all legal jargon, like boggles my brain and I start seeing numbers and letters confirmed together. But <laughs> you there is all the law on this, why? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. No, you're neither of us are attorneys. So talk to a lawyer if you have questions about this, because it makes sense to me that like, if someone is if a company is discriminating based on race, right, they could easily like easily get sued in the civil court. But is that considered criminal activity on behalf of the company? Maybe it is. So that's interesting. Yeah, there is some. So there is there is because there is a there's an equal opportunity employment commission, the EEOC, they actually go further than just affirmative action, which people think is one big thing, right? But there's points in like, you can't discriminate in the hiring, in hi I'm sorry, in hiring and even interviewing, which is what we saw, I think most recently in like um, football, which there's not, there's an ECEOC 
for all of jobs, but there's not like a quota like now, but people, companies will put further things in place in an affirmative action language. Um, like we have to hide, we have to interview a certain number of people of color, but we still see in part of the, the problem that happened with the NFL. And if I don't know law, I surely do not know sports. Sports ball. <laughs> part of the sports ball. Part of the issue is that they were interviewing people of color with no intention of hiring them. Oh, um, just to say that they did. So they're yeah. even with uh, affirmative. Every time there is a precedent or a legality set out, people find loop, loopholes sure. right, around it. So that's yeah. that's also part of the the issue. I think when we think when we think about general affirmative action, we think in the 60s or the 70s or even early 90s, especially in higher education, it was very much the 90s where people of color were getting into college and white people weren't. And we can talk more about some of those yeah. cases. Yeah. Uh, what was this girl called? Becky with the bad grades is what we talked about. I think we talked about her last season in um, because she thought that she didn't get into college because she was white. That's so that was her uh, 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 reverse racism, um, anti or reverse affirmative action case. So let, yeah, let's get into that. So before, and the last question before we get into the myths, just so I'm super clear, does affirmative action mean the same thing for higher education as it does for corporations? Does that basically mean the same thing? It does mean the same thing generally. The numbers look different um, based on what the schools are. The numbers look different based on demographics and it actually goes deeper for education than it does for companies, I would say, because for edu you have to look at total background like so where if you're looking at higher education you have to look at where a student comes from what their socioeconomic background is where you don't necessarily do that when you're hiring somebody you're not going to ask the person hey are you do you come from a low income background although there are programs that are trying to care for that as well that really expands upon all different things and those are things like um you don't have to have a degree to get this job if a degree is not required right like it's yeah kind of but it looks different in higher education than it looks in the corporate or working space. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if I confused y'all or I helped y'all, but that, those are the answers I got today. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Okay. So let's get into this myth busting thing. Um, so myth number one or thing, thing that Melody has heard in the world from mostly white people who don't understand this issue um, as someone speaking as someone who doesn't quite understand this issue myself. Um, but I've heard people say things like affirmative action might have been necessary 30 years ago, but today the playing field is fairly level. So we should do away with this, what people might consider nonsense of affirmative action. What is your response to that when you hear people say that? Oh, so many things. So I'm going to go slightly down a rabbit hole, try not to get too far down it. When we think about, it's because it's the same argument that people give about racism is over because Martin Luther King. So they're all talking about the civil rights of the 60s and how everything is level or, or, or even Obama was president. So racism doesn't exist anymore. So when we say that affirmative action, we don't need it anymore. We have to actually look at what's actually happening. And I'll use the workplace um, for instance, because I've worked with lots of companies. Uh, most Fortune 500 companies are still headed up by white men. Um, most uh, most presidents of colleges are still white men. Mm -hmm. um, so when we think about if it's needed, are people getting jobs? And even when you say, even when we look at that internal to companies, 
Women are often paid less because they are not holding as high positions. Women of color, even less than that, women of color and Latinx women, Native American, uh, Native and indigenous women, First Nations um, folks. And often when they're when fo uh, folks of color are hired, they're hired into entry level positions. So if we say it's not needed. What are we saying? Like, are we looking at a company as a whole? And when we talk about level playing field, we have to you, we have to step outside of the realm of work, go into education, go into housing, go into racial wealth gap, right? Like all of those things are connected to whether our playing fields are level, right? Black home ownership is lower than white home ownership. Black wealth, there's an income, it's an in, there's an income gap, um, wealth gap, where um, I think the average uh, family of color, and I'll say black specifically, it uh, has about five hundred or two hundred dollars in the bank, where um, white families are in the thousands. So when we're talking about level playing field, where are we starting from? Like you may, but and I think this is the other the other point to that is often people conflate um, individual racism with systemic uh, inequalities or racism. Like just because you're you don't see yourself as racist, and because you have a black person in your neighborhood, would you live in a black neighborhood? Would you go to a neighborhood where it's all black? Are, are they even in that way? Um, and your personal racism is not equivalent to um, systemic racism, right? So when we're talking about, because I think people think that they're the same thing and they're not necessary. They're not um, in that the structures look very, very different. So the income, the inequality <laughs> persists. So not, so not only is it just completely untrue that the playing field is le fairly level, it's just untrue. It's just categorically untrue in like every, every marker you look at. <laughs> right. So, just, and I'll give you know, one further example. Yeah. Um, and this is one that people point to more recently. Women of color are the largest group that are being educated with bachelor's degrees and master's degrees or higher education right now. Two thirds of people in college are women and women of color are the largest group of those people, black women specifically, but women of color overall. They're still being paid less money when they get into jobs, having higher degrees. I know a lot of women of color that have degrees and people above them who don't have degrees who still hold those jobs. So even though the playing field has changed a little bit in education, it hasn't made that difference yet in and out. And I'll say corporate because Corporate is where we have the highest earners in in jobs, right? Even nonprofits are still not mostly ran by people of color. Even nonprofits that serve minority groups of people still overwhelmingly uh, white. Um, that's where the the numbers of white women go up um, as well with with nonprofit CEOs. Still not the yeah. highest. Yeah, definitely. So I want to show a couple of facts to kind of illustrate this point. Um, so, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is from studies done by an organization called the Women's Power Gap. Um, they do amazing research on the state of higher education and corporate America and how women are doing uh, and how people of color are doing in these environments. So I'm gonna show two, two infographics here. This is the first one. So this is a glass ceiling effect, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so on the left, so if you're listening and you can't see this on the screen, so on the left, you have women, higher ed professionals who are women 60% higher ed professionals are women in, in 
across 130 uh, top universities in the United States. Okay, 60% are women, overwhelmingly women. Women are overrepresented as far as women working in this field, okay? Women are only 24% of top earners and only 8%, 18% of number one earners. So it goes from 60%, 24%, 1 to 18%, this downward line. And then men are 40% of the higher ed professionals, so a less, lower percentage. 76% of top earners and 82% of the one number one earners. So men are underrepresented when it comes to the overall workforce, but then way overrepresented when it comes to the top earners and the top leaders of the organization. This is across uh, all of the United States. Now, here's the case study. Uh, you would think that really liberal states, right? Really progressive states like Massachusetts, they would have gender parity, right? So this is, we're only looking at gender right now. We're not even looking at race in this particular instance. But you would think that like the Massachusetts, like the best schools in Boston, they would have, you know, a fair degree of women in higher leadership. Okay, so check mm -hmm. this out. Among the elite research in universities in, in Massachusetts, there's eight of them. Among all eight of them in last year, in the year 2021, there were no women presidents out of eight and five of those schools, including Boston University, where I went to school, Boston College, Northeastern, Tufts and UMass Amherst, five of them have never had a woman in leadership over that university ever. So we're not just talking about, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, unequalness happening. This is like you've had you've major schools and major corporations in the United States that have never, ever, ever, ever had a woman in charge ever. And women are half. I mean, think about that. I mean, education was, uh, you know, originally set up for for men. And I mean, I, I went to college. I have two degrees. Um, I went to an Ivy League school, both PWIs or one is like the people call it an honorary HBCU, but I don't I don't do that. But I went to Temple University, University of Penn, um, where they are still elitist institutions that are that separate the, the haves and the have nots in certain ways. And it's supposed to be what we know now as a great equalizer. But still, we still know that. And I know we'll get into this even more that folks of color, even with college degrees, are still earning or as employable as um, white high school um, college, white high school graduates that have not had any college, right? So even that in unequal playing field, when we get into uh, race, it still exists there. So, um, and we can post if if uh, if we can, Mel, we can post those two um, that you shared on our social so people can take a look at them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, can I share one more? So yeah, yeah. So this is a this is an infographic for, about women of color in the top 130 universities. Um, women of color are obtaining 16% of all PhDs in the United States, but comprise only 2.5% of the top earners at the universities themselves. 16% versus 2.5%. That's a huge difference. You know, there there is there is an inequality happening here. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, um, your next uh, your question that you've heard about yeah, affirmative action. I've actually heard a lot of people say this. You can't cure discrimination with discrimination. So, thinking that affirmative action is discriminating against the null text here is white people, right? So, what is your answer to that, Taishal? Does does affirmative action discriminate against white people? So, I think when I think about 
curing discrimination with discrimination. We have to even like really look at the term of what discrimination is. Discrimination was, it is usually in one, it's not a pendulum swing where it goes back and forth from one to the other, because if one group stays in power, like to, 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 uh, you know, un, I'm trying to figure out what word unravel discrimination. You have to then take away from the, the people who hold power. Right. So I'm not just talking. Often people think then that's the president, which he's still, you know, he's been a white man. One time they had that blip where he's a black man, but still not a, a woman either. Um, they think this is the one person that holds power, but that's not it. Right. Like those are he even is. um you know, beholden to other groups of people, right? So if we're saying that you can't cure discrimination by over-indexing people of color, we're not necessarily, we're just saying that we need to level, we need to actually level the playing field. And it's never going to be that um, very, very seldom will it be that people of color, black people, Asian people, Latinx people are over-indexed in a job at the top or in schools, unless they're at, and I will caveat at, a, at HSI, which is Hispanic Serving Institution, or HBCU, right? What and though, sorry to interrupt. We mean over index. So there. Yeah. So if if black, and I'm going to speak because I, I know the the numbers more specifically for black people. If black people are 13 percent of the population, and we make and we level the playing field that all institutions, uh, whether it be hot college or higher education institution and jobs have at least 13% people in all of those ranks, that still doesn't outweigh how many white people there are. That's just representing, representing, representing how many people population. should be. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's not, so when we say discrimination, what are we talking about? Are we saying we're gonna over index and have more people of color than there are white people? That almost never happens in places um, that serve all groups of people, right? So I went to like I went to a black a high school in a black neighborhood. We had more black people than we had white people, but that's not true for most schools because my school's in a black neighborhood and they're just white students who did. I was friends with the two white people who were in my school. Like that's the only people I knew. So I don't think I think when we talk about what is discrimination, we have to look at it as a whole and not one individual, because if you feel like, oh, like often I'll, I'll give an example from the higher education realm. And it's it's kind of part in part and parcel to that Becky with the bad hair. Right. That that or Becky with the bad grades is what they called her in the media in that she feels like she personally was being discriminated against and that discrimination was happening to her. But she, so she was saying, I applied to these schools. I forget, it was like, I forget what the school was, um, but I didn't get in and other black people did. But she also discounted the fact that legacy students get in. Um, if your parent went to that college, then you're more likely to get into that college. And then also athletes get into college um, so when you when you add legacy and when you add um, when you add legacy and you add athletes, student athletes, that's still a portion. We're talking about a portion of people of color can get in, but what about all the other ones? And then we go into things like, oh, my grandparents donated a library. Well, you're gonna get admission to that school. Right. So still this portion. So when you feel personal discrimination is happening to you, and there was oh, there's. There's so many studies done on this, especially when it comes to higher education, because there was another one where they looked at this portion of students that get scholarships. That's another people are like, well, all people of color get scholarships for just being people of color. I think it was like something like 46 percent of, of scholarships go to white people, 
whereas the other half or I think no, I think it was like 56%. The other half of scholarships go to all of those other minority groups. So white people are still over indexed and in who's actually getting scholarships, but you can get a scholarship for being, uh, and that's, these are institutional scholarships, not just a personal male set up a scholarship for people with glasses and buttons, like that's a different thing. <laughs> well, I think a lot of white people like misunderstand and maybe purposefully misunderstand discrimination and act like just recognizing that race exists and trying to make things equitable is discrimination. Absolutely. So I think they, I think we are folks who look like me often take it out of context, like a little bit on purpose. Cause it like benefits us. So yeah. Um, all right. Next, next. Um, I've heard people say that affirmative action means that you're favoring unqualified candidates over qualified candidates. So like, yeah. So how I how I engage with qualified over not qualified, this is the conversation I've been having in terms of when we call something qualifications, what are what are we saying qualified? So are you t if we're only saying grades, we still are missing some of the points because not like, okay, I'll use my, I'm gonna use myself for an example. I went to a school, a high school, that was a special admissions high school. You had to take a test to get into the school, but it was so poorly funded by the city that I had no 11th grade English teacher, like so none at all. That's just bananas. Right, sat yeah. in the classroom. Like I'm saying, literally you guys, we sat, in, you all, we sat in the classroom by ourselves, right? Yeah. So, and then I will say I did really well in science, but you have to have, I think in the educational system, you have to have at least nine students to create an AP class. They did not have enough students that had AP grades to create an AP class. So I did not get advanced placement or AP classes because of that. So when I went to college, I didn't get any scholarships. So therefore I was behind. I had to like, you know, scrape and script to like pull up grades. I, I, took a, I took a class that they offered, I think twice in the school's history where it was above level reading and writing and below level mechanics for writing. So it was like, you know how like English is like English 101? I took English 098-108. So I was above level in this and below level in that. There were like seven or eight of us in the class that like, you're really good at reading and writing papers, but your grammar in those papers are off. Like literally took this class. So when we say over in, or when we talk about, um, unqualified students, what are we saying? And that's actually just not true. Like we're not just saying black people who are not qualified for a job should get a job. Uh, black people, who, black people, Asian people, Latinx people who are not qualified for a position are gonna get it over a very qualified white person that it, like I don't even know how to tell you that that's just not true because it- Yeah, so like, okay, so like, let's say there's a job opening and like, so let's just focus on the corporate side for a minute because I think it's a little bit simpler in this case. So there, there's a job opening and and three um, three resumes of black people come across the hiring manager's desk. OK, and one of those resumes is just like super not fit for the job. It's like a CEO level job, but this person only has like a high school degree and they're clearly they clearly have no work experience or whatever. They don't have to be considered seriously for that job just because no. they're black. That's not how it works. Like we're among you're saying among qualified candidates who applied for the job, right? Um, it, it, that That's who is being considered for this. Um, but I think that, so I think- Can I get a sidebar to this too? Because yeah. I find this really interesting. 
when you go to apply for a job, right, they always have these bullet points of like, what are their qualifications? And now, now jobs have preferred qualifications and like, this is their bit. You have to have these things. And these are the things that we prefer often. And this is a, this is a gender, not, not necessarily racial men will apply if they meet half the qualifications, but women will not apply unless they meet 75 to 80% of the qualifications. I believe that that is so interesting. So there have been studies done on that. And when you, when you are a person who's written a job description, as I have done in the past and some of the works that I have done throughout my life, it is, you are talking about your dream candidate. If I could dream up an employee, it, they would have all of these things and a bells and whistles and a unicorn horn, right? Yeah. You put that in your qualifications and now people are saying like, that's what we prefer, but we are saying you have, you, we want you to know these things or do these things. Often women will not apply to a job that they don't feel at least 80% qualified for, whereas men will apply if they at least meet half of what's- That is for. so interesting. Yeah, so the recommendation is for women to apply for jobs. That I tell people, listen, if, even if it's a wish and a prayer, just apply for it because yeah, just apply. Yeah. So, but and I also think that like the the question of like qualification, like obviously there's the basics, like you have to have the education and the work history to like meet this, but also like in some cases, I think it's it's important to like having diverse voices and diverse perspective on perspectives on your workforce is really valuable in and of itself. And like this idea of like qualification of like meeting these standards of professionalism and white, you know, work culture or whatever, um, you know, having this Ivy league degree or whatever that um, people often associate with being a really qualified candidate. That's not the only way to be a valuable asset to the company and an asset to the, to the university. There's lots of different ways to be qualified and, you know, having a strong voice, having a being a good writer, you know, um, being a good community servant or like whatever else, there are a lot of qualities, you know, work ethic. Like there's a lot of qualities that make people a good candidate. So. So, yeah. And to that, I'm so glad you said that because when we talk about what is a qualification education, honestly, a lot of jobs, as long as you have a, it doesn't matter what you have a bachelor's degree and you have that, you used to have to have one and people are moving, moving a less away from it. And I mean, as a person who, like I said, as a person who has an advanced degree, I'm okay with people being hired if they don't have a degree, but they have work experience, but, and they, or they have, they bring something um, different, unique to the table, because like you said, Expect and I'll and I'll say this for corporations, especially that serve um, uh, uh, customers. You have black people make up a lot of um, income, dis- disposable income in consumerism to a, a large degree. So you want to be able to not just play to your base, but you want to be able to incorporate the voices of people of color that look like that. So many jobs don't have to do that backtracking when they say or do something (laughs) racist. You want to have these diverse voices. And when we say qualifications, qualifications have to look holistic for whatever the job is. Not saying that you want to hire a non-engineer into an engineering job. Right. uh, But if you, but that's not the, if the engineer is the only job that's there, like then that's one thing. But if we're saying that, the company and a group of engineers, then it should be diverse in the other people who make up those other jobs because you, like you said, need diverse voices at the table. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a valuable thing, definitely. Okay, cool. Next, uh, affirmative action, I've heard people say, is just 
quotas. Can you please explain quotas to me? So we had a little bit of a discussion, and I have to tell our audience, we had a little bit of a discussion as we were talking about this. And this is where one thing, one place that I think affirmative action does fail. Um, affirmative action as it's written and as the, as the law is written, because it can create quotas. And the problem with, with that is that it can be quotas by another name. My, can we can we define that first? Well, a quota being like you have to hire a certain number of black people, of Asian people, of gay people, of whatever. Most jobs don't do a lot of self-reporting. This is why, you know, when you go to apply for a job, um, they ask you your race, your gender, and you can say you don't want to say. Um, sidebar, like sad note about that is that often when jobs are asking those questions, if you get hired into that job, they will, they will, somebody will report what you look like is your race or what they perceive what you look like to them. So say I'm Afro, uh, say I'm Cuban, but I'm Afro Cuban. They will say, oh, she's black, but that's not how I identify because, but they've this really, because I didn't want to put it down. They're going to tell, they're going to say what I look like. Um, so the quota is like, you have to hire this many people. You have to hire that many people, that many women, that many people of color, that many Asian people, that many black people, that many Native American people. That's just not a thing because of a quota is going to produce a certain number when it's still going to be unbalanced. And what, what is that number that you'll, that they're, that people are striving for? Yeah. Now you can't really, con I mean, okay, but can, okay. Can you control my first thought was, well, you can't control who applies for your job, but maybe maybe people can control that a little bit more than than you think, right? Because like you could purposefully, if you really were sneaky, you could just uh, advertise that job to like primarily white communities or white institutions or white social. Oh, that's networks. All, that already happens. You don't have to sneakily do that. Most people yeah. um, will hire people that they know. Most people will filter for certain things when they're hiring. A lot of people who get into jobs only, they, even hiring bias ha happens overall anyway. I will say there are quotas in places like France. If you have a board, um, it has to be 50% um, female. Oh my gosh, why do we have that? Why is that on And your board, they won't say that the board can't make decisions, but that people who are on those boards won't get paid. Or no, they will get yeah they'll, they'll they they won't get paid. So there are quotas that have worked in certain countries. Um, America does not is not one of them that has a certain number quota. Um, you will see that it'll look like that, especially in colleges and universities, because the camera seems to follow around groups of black people to take pictures for brochures. But that is not a number. So why I think it's a failing is because, and I know we talked one of the things we talked about when we started talking about this topic and even bringing this topic forward is that companies who rely on quotas will hire and maybe it's a quota by a different name maybe they say our goal is to hire 50 percent women and of those 50 percent 25 of that i'm just breaking down fake numbers um uh, not fake numbers non not real numbers i'm just throwing out numbers um 25 have to be black women right say that's the number that we throw out okay it's a quota by another name because we have a goal, a hiring goal, a leadership goal or whatever. What happens is those companies and why I say I think it's a failing in um, affirmative action is because they haven't changed their culture. So when you hire those people into the same culture, nothing has changed. Those people won't stay. So that's why I think yeah. not that I think quotas are bad, but I, just that I think 
that they don't work because uh, we we just we're, we're still in with the great resignation in that people are like my mental health is suffering and it's terrible to work here and I'm the dub what they call the double only or the only in the room so the only being I'm the only person of color I'm the only woman I'm the only whatever double only being I am a black woman I'm the only black woman in the room so then when we start talking about um, Thank you. One of our, I'm going to, I'm going to shout out our producer said quota, not retention. So we missed yeah. um, that portion as well. How do you retain? Cause you could technically, you could technically check all the boxes and, and, and say here, look on paper, look at these numbers, look at all the people of color we hired, look at all the women we hired without reporting that they don't stick around because you have a hostile workplace for, for minority groups. Right. Um, okay. Next myth. Are women in, uh, women in, Okay, blah, blah. women and minorities are, it's hard for me to even say this because like I don't agree with it. It's hard for me to say things that like feels like I'm lying. Okay, I've heard people say that women and minorities are underrepresented because those candidates just aren't applying. They're just not in the workforce. Like women, women quit their jobs to raise babies and stay at home in the kitchen barefoot. I don't know what people think. Two stories. Actually, and I the just, first one is not at all answering the question, but I have to talk about this. Okay. So, I, so before I moved to the West Coast, when I was back living on the East Coast, um, I was out at a pool day. Somebody invited me to the pool at, a, at an apartment that they lived in. And I met this couple. I met, I met a bunch of people. Um, and <laughs> there was this uh, guy who, you know, we're at the pool, everybody's drinking. And this guy starts talking and his wife is like, oh, my God. He st when he starts talking, he can't get him to stop. And he starts asking me, he says I'm a libertarian and I'm like I, I barely know what that means like fiscally conservative but socially liberals I think what I come to know about what people say libertarians are and he goes but there is one thing I have a problem with mind you this is a guy who recently got married I think a year and a half ago to his wife and he's a lawyer and self-proclaimed libertarian he goes I just don't think companies should have to employ women in their years of childbearing years what what like not like oh, no. not like he didn't even say when they get pregnant he said their entire childbearing years and that's like I'm 20 like, years of my life I okay, go, listen, as a 37 year old woman who doesn't have children that pisses me off to no end because it's already hard enough to like face i'll just say face like you know infertility stuff or whatever the heck heck i want to swear so bad right now we're trying to we're trying to keep the explicit label off our app our podcast um that is so freaking hurtful for okay, me so here, like, here's no the place it really got it is my childbearing years or whatever oh man i'm like triggered by this even and it's, when you said it it immediately popped in my mind i hadn't i've tried to like push it down and forget about it is that his wife is there and she goes oh my god i hate when you say that and I was like, why is she married to that? So this is not the oh, first no. time he said this. And no. his wife is in her childbearing years. Was he, he wasn't joking? Like people think this earnestly? And oh. I was like, um, yeah, maybe he's just rambling and he's just talking um, smack. And she's like, no, he really believes what he's saying. And then he said that. And then she got really upset. She's like, I hate when you say that. And I was like, she's going to literally go into this marriage knowing like clean break because she doesn't they didn't have kids yet but she's going to go into this marriage knowing that he feels like she should be fired from her job because she's of she should have been hired to begin with and mind you i think sidebar i think she uh 
made more money than him because he had just graduated from law school. I, they, I live, and, and the thing is, they got some stuff hanging out, and, and this is this is like no lie. We're at the pool with a lesbian couple, a gay pastor, oh. them, and another uh, a, a Latinx woman and um, another woman. And he says this, and nobody is like. So, and, and the gay pastor who married them, who officiated their wedding is like, he's ridiculous. And I was oh, like, this is not okay. I would have had serious words for this person. Never, never again did I hang out with them oh, because I cannot. And no. they, they moved uh, not too long after that. And I was like, thank God, because I detest men. Like, like to me, it, one of the things I think it also points out is that women will vote against their own interest. Like you married a man who thinks that you should be able to be fired from your job. You shouldn't be able to even be hired at your job in your childbearing years. This is well, and this is also like the deep ignorance of comments like this and how hurtful this is. Like, do you realize before women were allowed to really work before the 1950s? I mean, we're talking more white women, I guess, in this case, this is, this is very complicated, right? Because women of color have always been forced into domestic labor. But in in the area of time before the modern era, before women could own property, hold jobs, um, uh, have credit cards, have financial independence, any of these things, like you realize like a large percentage of percentage of women like went actually like crazy at home, like housewife psychosis was a thing, like women like going to fits of hysteria because they were literally forced to sit at home and take care of the home and and like do nothing and like literally their minds like wasting away from the inside, um, having like no mental stimulation, no economic freedom, no economic mobility or equality, not be being completely dependent on their husbands for everything, um, being in many ways seeing as property of their husbands. Like it, it's it put in those conditions when women don't have people, I say people in general, but when women don't have opportunity to be independent and to work, like it is seriously so detrimental to our physical health that women have gone insane and be put, been put in insane asylums for not being allowed to participate in society. So like, and, I'll, and I'll say this, this is not Betty Cleaver, right? Like, and, and that actually in Mad Men, Betty Cleaver, she starts going a little, she starts getting this like housewife psychosis a little bit. She starts going this, so I'll say this as, a, as an antidote to what that person said. Jack Black, his mother is a scientist. She was writing the formula on her. She was writing the formula on the way to that while she was in labor in the hospital to be able to make the calculations for the for the NASA astronauts to be able to return home safely on Apollo 13. Yes. While she was like she giving was birth to him. Giving about to give birth to a human, yep. something that male identified people can't mostly can't do right cishet male people cannot do or don't do was giving birth and she was making calculations for astronauts to return home on a mission amazing yeah so so there you but, go point. I, I, that's, that's the only example you need that women should be allowed to work during childbearing i remember what your question was because literally it, when it popped up in my I'm mind so I was like, angry. i'm so angry right now i haven't i, I, I like followed those people on social media for a while and i'm just like i need to go i'm gonna go look and see if i can find and see if they had a baby <laughs> like Oh, that's not. I. I mean, I wish them the best. I wish like. And I don't. I don't think that having a child will will change that because some men will be like, I have a wife and daughter, and still be like voting against their oh their children God. and their you know own. We gotta move on because I'm about Your to question. punch somebody. Okay, like, 
Okay. What was your What was your original question? I think I had another example. Oh yeah, one more. Um, uh, 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 that that minorities and women are behind because the candidates just aren't applying. Okay. So the other thing about about that is that they all people apply to jobs. One, that's not a thing. And then also, where are you advertising these jobs? So when often will people when you are looking for a, a candidate for a job, they call it a slate, right? Is your slate diverse? Where are you posting it? Are you only posting it on places where other male people will see? Are you posting it where minorities will see? Are you engaging people in local places? Are you doing, like people will be like, we do college fairs, but are you going to HBCUs? Are you going to PWIs that have um, black students? Um, so jobs can do those kinds of things where they can engage students of color, where they can engage um, different students in different of different races, different ethnicities, um, programs. Most schools have international programs that go to China specifically, not, and I can't even say all of Asia, but China. But what about other groups of Asian people, right? Laos, Thai, Vietnamese, do you have exchange programs with those programs as well? So yeah. um, people apply, but do people even know that your job exists? So where are you applying to? So I've got some numbers for uh, on the gender line. So women's labor force participation is about 57% and men's is 69%. So men, generally, about 10% more men are in the workforce than women. But that's not that different, right? It really right. isn't. So on average, on in an average industry, like some industries like education are heavily skewed toward women. But let's just say an average industry, for the most part, you might have, you know, six men applying for every four women or something like that. Not even. Um, you right. might have like 11 men applying for every nine women or something like that. I don't know. But then also, so and like, I'm going to touch on something else you said, but go ahead. I, I want yeah. to make sure anyway, I touch on this Just to thing. finish this thought. So, uh, and, and, then, and then in colleges, it's inverse. So 60% women and 40% men are applying to college on average. So your hiring numbers and your admissions numbers should reflect the percentages that are applying. Right. So you should be roughly be hiring, you know, for 60 percent men, 40 percent women. Right. That would be the ideal because your, your hiring represents the number of people who apply. Right. Uh, and then so even on that, when we think about things like there are more women who um, work in, I would say, college, often the way that not professors, not college presidents are often still in domestic roles. Right, more women cook, more men are professional chefs. More women are teachers, more men are principals. So yeah. we still have to think about that hierarchy more. There are more, especially preschool teachers, even preschool principals tend to be women. But as the, the higher up you go into um, an educational system, whether it's college or even K to 12, um, there are more male principals, but women teachers. Yeah, quick note on this. I think it's important to understand that like what a lot of Western thought has been founded through many, many, many years on ancient Greek philosophy is really interesting to know that like Plato and Aristotle, those guys believed that men is the natural ruler of women, you know, that women are not fit, that women are too emotional to rule ourselves and that women should like submit themselves to men. Like these ideas are as old as time, you know, and they're infuriating because it's, it's just, it's founded on, old, archaic, ancient, pre-scientific myths of gender. How, how we set up marriage, how we set up laws. Yeah. Listen, we, we I still just have these really deeply subconsciously embedded biases. 
exactly. So we could that's a whole other episode to talk about like equality and we'll have to have an equality and relationship conversation because then you really think that me and Mel are, are radicals in how we how our spousal relationships engage, but that I digress. Okay, okay, okay. Um, we got time for like one more myth and then okay, one more okay, myth. Let me see. Okay, last myth. Um if some um minority groups have been able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps some people say just pull yourself up by your bootstraps economically or whatever then why should we coddle minority groups who haven't pulled themselves up by their bootstraps i know you have a lot to say about this tyshell so i'm very i'm excited to hear what you have to say so much okay so often when we're talking about those groups um, I'm going to talk about three different things that I, I really wanted to outline here um, with two different groups that people often tout as those minority groups who've been able to make it and have able to, been able to lace up their Jordans to, to run a company, right? Often they're talking about Asian people as a whole or Asian, or actually they're talking about Asian people, but they're actually literally probably only talking about Japanese, Chinese, and sometimes Filipino, but not necessarily, right? So Asian people and Jewish people, those are the two groups of people that people often point to. And I say that because, I mean, I was just telling um, Mel about this, the entire model minority myth started, started, and what we know is a model minority myth started with one New York Times article in 1966 that says that I think the the headline says something like um, uh, Asian and Jewish groups have been able to make it. Why can't black people? So what it does is serve to put minority against minority. And that's where they first use the terminology of model minority. These, and they said model minorities were both Jewish and Asian people. But. What that does is it discounts the fact that ma that uh, Asian people Asian is a they use it as a it's not a monolith they use it as a monolith as if Asian people are one group of people the continent of Asia is one vast like people often think that Asia just comprises China like there are parts of Russia in Asia so I don't know why that's like Eurasia um, but Asian people on the whole have the largest income disparity as a large group. Because when we're talking about Asian people, we're talking about a large, I think more than 86 groups of different people. Um, I could be wrong. It may be even more than that. But often what they're talking about is Chinese and Japanese um, people. So we're leaving out Vietnamese people in the Vietnam War. We're leaving out Laos people, Thai people. We're leaving out, and even Japanese internment camps, right? We still have to talk about like India, yeah, we have uh, Hindu, Pakistani, all of these different groups. And I'm, I know I'm leaving out many, many groups of people, Korean people. That's the people people talk about. Even when we talk about, and this is another conversation we can have about colorism. They're talking about Japanese, Chinese, and Korean. Those are the lighter groups of Asian people and not saying that that even fits all of them. We're still, Laos people are darker. Vietnamese people are darker. They tend to be darker in complexion. So that's another whole conversation. But on the whole, Asian people in if you look at if you look at if we're looking at a map of the United States, um, California and all the the other like city East Coast. So New York, um, Philadelphia, Boston, Chicago, they have more wealthier Asian people. But what about the folks in the middle? Often Asian people live in multi-generational households. So they actually have a big, big wealth income disparity. What, what so, do you mean by disparity? Are they above average or below average? It's it is what you say. I'm sorry. 
Uh, income disparity meaning above average or below average in income. Disparity. So income and disparity disparity in that Asian groups have the largest extrapolation in tiered uh, uh, wealth wealth inequality among even each other. Right? Oh, I see. Okay. So often black people have more sem semblance in where how many black people like we know that like LeBron James and Oprah, Oprah. Are billionaires, yeah. but largely black people are in a, on average in a smaller group asian people have the largest wealth gap between Interesting. them as a group. okay wow okay uh, right and so often when we're talking about asian people we're talking about chinese japanese and korean leaving out that they're asian is not a monolith and that still involves pakistani um so many different groups indian all of these people right that's one thing and the model minority also discounts that not all Asian people are the smarter people. Not our Asian people are, are, you know, doing math and science. What about the artists and what about all of those, right? That's one por portion of that. Um, the second portion being when we say bootstraps, if you give everyone boots, likely people can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But if you give a person boots and then continuously take them away or throw them in the trash or take them from them and burn them, then you can't pull yourself up by a bootstrap that doesn't exist. And I, and I'll, so my example for that is um, Black Wall Street. So there was a self-sustaining group of uh, African-Americans who had, who held office. They had stores, banks, schools in a neighborhood in, oh, am I going to get this wrong? I'm trying to remember where it was. Ohio, right? I believe it was Ohio. Somebody correct me. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to ask one of our producers to throw uh, me a line. Tulsa? Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was about to say, I'm like, oh, I can't, I'm so bad at geography. Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's why I remember. Tulsa. Yeah. So that was a group where Black people were affluent in this self-sustaining community, much like what we would see in like something like a Chinatown right? A self-sustaining insular community. Um, the American government um, started dropping um, uh, Molotov cocktails and bombs to destroy the entirety of the community and destroy all of the insular wealth because it was not being distributed outward and was being distributed inward. It was, so, a, was it a race riot that started it? People it call a it a race riot, but it there uh, it was systemic from our government. So really, so when we call it a race riot, it discounts that um, the government played a hand in destroying Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow! Right. So, so when you say that wealth was wiped out, right? And there, so there were people, and there I think the oldest living um, person from there still is I think one or two living um, people who were alive as like five and six year olds when it was happening, but they didn't know poverty. They grew up not knowing poverty, but it was all wiped out and they had to either start over and, you know, it was de decimated, right? So I think yeah. you know, not everyone has boots. So when yeah. you say you go by your bootstraps, if the, if the government takes my boots from me and doesn't allow me to have boots, or if I'm not, if I can't, you know, go to college and get a degree. And that that system now looks like a, for women and folks of color, um, student loan debt, right? If I can't um, go to college and then buy a house, right? Because college used to cost around $8,000 10 years ago, 25 years ago, and now it costs upwards of $100,000. And the interest itself is already, you know, um, crippling. 
and I, right. or it's detrimental. I don't want to. I don't want to be ableist and say the word crippling, but um, it is. It is detrimental to the people who have gone and take out college loans because you're not paying back what you owe. You're paying back ten times what you owe because of interest. Um, but that's a whole other conversation about how people feel about <laughs> student loan debt forgiveness. The twenty thousand dollars that some people are going to get ten thousand and twenty thousand. Yeah. Um, last part of that. Go ahead. Did you want to ask something before I get into my really last part? Of, I had to get. Were you going to talk about redlining? Because um, that's where my mind was going. For when you're talking about taking away people's boots, like Asian communities and Jewish communities were not redlined in, as as recently as like our parents' lifetime, right? Put put into neighborhoods and denied economic opportunity, educational opportunity, denied home loans, denied ways to build generational wealth. Um, in contrast, like I'm so glad you did. In, <laughs> in contrast to like two examples. So first example is. Um, Jewish ghettoization in medieval, medieval and Renaissance Europe, right? So Jews were in a similar fashion put into ghettoized community. They call them ghettos, actually. That's not like a racial, like, actually called Jewish ghettos in, in Europe and forced because of deep anti-Semitism across middle, medieval and Renaissance Europe to live in like sectioned off communities. And we're not allowed to work really any jobs in society except for financial lenders because a lot of Christians believe it was against uh, Christian law to collect interest on uh, loans. So they forced Jews to have these um, these career in, into the careers of financial lending because it wasn't against Jewish faith to do so. So that's Which important. Is, that, builds the, builds the, the stereotype that Jews are cheap and greedy. Those, both of those come from that. Yeah, both of those come to those stereotypes. So not only were Jews forced into that position, but then they were stereotyped and rejected and it perpetuated anti-Semitism as well. Jews have been able, many Jews have been able to build long-term fin generational financial wealth and independence because they turned that around to a, a positive situation, right? So, but, but also but because they were able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps because they were given boots to pull up, right? Right. So that we also then have to, and this is another conversation and, and I encourage people to go to the, the uh, Jewish American History Museum when there's like a conversation of when Jews became white because they weren't always considered white people, which is the difference in race to ethnicity. Um, yeah. Where they were considered white was in the, it's not, it was like 1950s. And um, so, you know, and we, you know, the thing about white and white supremacy, they have to, you have to let men, white men are often letting other people become white. So. Uh, Irish people weren't white, um, Italian people weren't white, and the last group of that is Jewish people weren't white, which is why we see, which is why I think we see a lot of um, racism, or why we see a lot of discrimination and anti-Semitism, because they were the last group to then become white, right? Like, and I think yeah. that's still a quotation, because not all Jews, we're talking, that even then we're talking about Ashkenazi Jews and not other groups of Jewish people, or people who pass for what is white. Yeah, and, and whiteness is granted. Um, whiteness is, and, and to your point about the model minority, whiteness is granted to model minorities who play by white rules and 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 often have lighter skin and and appear to like be um, conducive to white culture. The other example that comes to mind is Japanese internment. So during World War II, our government placed thousands of Japanese people in in concentration camps, internment camps and force them to live apart from society, abandoning their jobs, abandoning their homes. But this is a really interesting thing. So not only were Japanese people given reparations of $20,000 each for that, that, Black people have never been given reparations for and that. And Jewish people were also given reparations in, in Europe as well. I didn't know that. 
But yes. in but here's the here's the kicker in in reparations. In America, the only people who have been given reparations for slavery were people who owned slaves. So there's also oh. they were given um, bank loans and they were given like okay, so you were going to have you would have had this amount of money when you had this amount of enslaved people. So we're going to give you uh, forgiveness on your loans or things like that. So the other thing, so I would say for for what you're talking about, the um, I'm going to tell people go read the Color of Law. The Color of Law is a book by Richard Rothstein, and it talks about redlining in neighborhoods. And then my other podcast recommendation, because I follow NPR Code Switch, they uh, there's a they did a series with a group called um, School Colors is the name of this podcast, and there's nine, I think nine or ten episodes, and I have listened to it even now on well, my second time going through the entire series. School Colors talks about all of these topics from the lens of. Um, kids getting into school, a diversity plan that they wanted to do in New York City, because schools are more uh, just as or more segregated now than they were in um, after Brown v. Board of the Edu uh, Brown v. Board of Education. And Ruby Bridges was the first young person to integrate schools, and she's only 67. So we, I know we, we have like ran out of time, we've been just doing myths. But the last point I want to talk about with um, if certain people were able to pull up their bootstraps, it also gives this moralistic feeling that Black people are just not doing good enough. They are just, they don't care about education as much as Asian people do. They don't, um, they're not morally um, sanctified as Christians or as Jews or whatever, what have you. So it gives up, it puts the, what we're doing then is putting the onus on people of color um, to say that you have failed, you have a moral, an inherent moralistic failing that makes you not able to succeed when we know that you can see in very small amounts, you'll see um, there are black people. There's like, I think that there were now like the 20th person of color that has gotten into all Ivy leagues, but that also exists in that they try to separate um, African um, students or African first generation African students, first generation American from African families and say they care about education. Um, when other people don't, but we also know that poverty um, is a is a stressor. Poverty as a stressor, generational uh, trauma. Yeah, right. generational trauma will will uh, erupt a, an entire community. But I I I, I implore you all to go read um, the Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And uh, fun fact, he's coming out with a second book because people always say, "Now you've told us about the problem. What can we do about it?" And I got to be uh, participating in a talk, and he's in he's writing his second. This, the, the companion book, the other side of that book, um, and what can we do? Um, just things keep happening in the government that he feels like keeps slowing him down. So I got to hear him say that. Cool. Uh, I, I don't even know. So, I, I wanna, yeah, so. Maybe we can touch on a couple more things and go over just a little bit. A couple uh, more things. Let's talk about the, the glass ceiling, the concrete ceiling, the bamboo ceiling, and the glass cliff effect really quick, because I think these are all really important. Glass ceiling is pretty common. We know it's like women can generally generally this is talking about women, but I think there's also glass ceilings that exist for, for racial groups as well, can get to a certain point and be of being promoted and can see the top, but are blocked by um, institutional bias and hiring bias in promoting, for, especially from within. That's a glass ceiling. What's a concrete ceiling? So what is, it's honestly just what you said. So they there it's a, a racial component to say that White women can get can ascend to the top and see or ascend higher and see the top, whereas women of color they call it the the bamboo and concrete ceiling and the sticky floor. 
So black women can't even see the top. They are so far down in a company that they can't even see what looks like. So maybe you'll be a black director, but there's less black VPs and no black CEOs. There's, I think of the, of the companies, there's maybe two black CEOs. I think one is Walmart and one is Melody Hobson. Um, I forget what company she runs, but these are two. Black they're like, there's no representation. So it's hard to even imagine yourself in that position. Right. You can't e even see it. This is where we get that double only. And the bamboo ceiling was adapted and first coined um, by an author who talked about that for Asian women, because Asian men tend to be higher and be more, C and there are more Asian men CEOs, less women. So there's even a disparity, gender disparity within Asian communities and concrete um, usually is covering black and Latinx women. And the sticky floor is that we're going to hire black people with affirmative action, but they stay in um, frontline roles and, and can ascend um, upward. So that is the glass ceiling. So I, you mentioned the glass cliff, and I really want to hear about that because I feel like I have some experience in hearing about it. And the glass cliff effect is the phenomenon where a company is um, gets a lot of pressure to hire a to do a, a more minority hire generally in a position of leadership. But they'll wait to do that until the company or the organization is not doing well. And then they'll put the person in the minority in charge only to basically set them up for failure. So the glass, it's like it's like being shoved off a cliff. Like it's it's making this person into a sacrificial lamb for the company. So they could be like, well, we hired a woman, but it just obviously didn't work out. They didn't do a good job. So we had to let them go. You know, so it's it's kind of a is a really nefarious sort of move that I don't even know if people would see. That's the thing about these, these decisions. I don't think a lot of pe some people would make them consciously and be like, Hey, I'm going to set up this woman to fail. But a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't make these decisions consciously. They make them unconsciously because they don't examine their own biases. And because those biases go unexamined, it impacts real people's lives who are going up for these jobs and who are not getting to achieve their dreams or or attend their dream school or pursue the thing that they want to pursue because someone has not done the work to unpack this in their brain and this internalized racism and this internalized um, prejudice. So it's it's really fr frustrating, right? It is. It is. And I, one of the things I wanted to at least talk about a little bit with that is the thought that um, when we talk about affirmative action, right, that's where we started with this conversation and affirmative action. Affirmative action, honestly, actually, not like actually benefits white women more than it does any other group. Okay, how? I, I think I've heard this, but how does that actually work? So white women, so when we look at racial and gender bias, gender bias is easier to solve for. So we'll say we want at least 50% women, right? So say a company actually puts that into practice. We want at least 50% women. What we have found in the corporate spaces, and I've done work with different corporations, is that those groups of people still tend to be white. Do we have a reason that that is? Not, there's not a... There's not one answer to why it is, but they still tend to be white women. So if you look at, and I, I implore people to go look at many companies and look at who the, the C-suite is, you will often see maybe one person of color and or two, and that those people of color tend to be one black person, one or two Asian people, 
And some, and if they can get those all rolled into one, I'm going to hire one black woman, or I'm going to hire three white women. That's t- that tends to be how they look. So interesting. So it's like right quality over quality thing. I don't know. And then, and our one of our producers said, and I'm going to. He has. I'm. I'm. I have to shout it out that he said it. Um, our producer Benjamin said those women tend to be VPs of HR. So I'm going to yes. say, HR, HR. but that's also because. That's even even if you think about the 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 inherent bias in that is that women can deal with people while men will deal with the other things like numbers yeah. and money and all. They'll do the real work. So, so look at so go so I implore people go look at any company you worked for any one of them and look at their C suite. That C suite is anybody who's chief anything. So that's um uh C H R O, which is chief human resource officer. Um, and, and chief information officer, chief people officers, what they call their HRs now, um, diversity officer, all of those. So, so think about, and then look at all of those and see how many of them are men, how many of them are white men, how many of them are women, how many of them are white women, how many of them are um, Asian, how many of them are Asian women, how many of them are black, how many of them are black women, and you'll see many discrepancies in all of those. First race, and then gen gender so yeah yeah i mean yeah and and i agree with you like white women are like oh look we're we're doing a diversity hire like we're we're getting a woman on the team and like you know intersectionality exactly i want to do an experiment with you right okay now and i'll do and if you are listening to this you can do it as well and i did this with i've done this um exercise with the groups across the world and i'll tell you about some of the groups i've done it with close your eyes and imagine a CEO. Oh no! I just instantly imagined what what are they wearing? What <laughs> do they look out? like? Uh, I'm just saying. No, okay. literally, I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even done describing. Okay, what yeah. are they wearing? What do they look like? Um, how old are they? Okay. And now I'm going to answer. Okay. Were they male? Yes. Were they white? Yes, I didn't want to think it, but it was the first thing that popped in my head. Were they wearing a suit? A blue pinstripe. Okay, so wearing I was going to say, is it blue, black, or gray? Um, do they have a full head of hair? Yes. It, are they tall? Hair. Yep. Athletic build. Right. And are they over 40, but not 60? And if you can look yeah. at what you think that person I would say would young be. 40s, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did this workshop with a group of people in India and they still came back with the same answer. Really? And mind you, none of the people in that group were white. I think one was, one was South Asian. Uh, One was um, Northern Asian and not um, South Asian. Is this like the entertainment we consume that's like portraying these stereotypes or is this actually like what we see in, maybe it's both. I don't know. So if you're thinking about this, so, okay. So one of the things that about psychology, that's really, really interesting is that um, you? Your brain can't make doesn't hold the the mechanisms to be able to make up faces. So every face that you imagine in your head is an amalgamation of faces you've seen before. Huh. Interesting. That's interesting. In that, in that, what your your brain just did a. I just named all of these things for your brain to do, and your brain pulled all of the information that you have and that you've seen, you've interacted with, you know to be true that you've read about, and it pulled together a face of a person, and yeah. that face of that person is still a white man, um, not exceeding the age of sixty. But, oh, also, is that person in a wheelchair? 
Does that person have any dis disabilities? Right now. Yeah. Right. So, and then also is that, like you said, you said athletic build, that person often when we imagine a CEO, we never imagine a person what we call overweight. <laughs> so all of those things exist in our mind because that's the information that we've been fed, not just entertainment, but just over time and overall. So all of those people exist in our brain and even down to what they're wearing still comes back to a suit is professional. A full head of hair is important, right? Which is why some presidents try to hold on to their hair until the very last moment um, that they should have gotten rid of it, right? So we wouldn't, you wouldn't even imagine that person as bald. You wouldn't no. imagine that person as fat. You wouldn't imagine that person as having um, a limb deficiency or difference. Like you would not imagine it. You wouldn't imagine that person blind with a, with a, a companion guide dog. You wouldn't imagine that person short no. Right. This is what our brain says makes sense because these are the information that we've been fed over our lifetime. So I leave you all with that. So if you did get a chance to please do that exercise when we say it, imagine it and just see. And I'm not saying that you're wrong for doing it. This is just what we have. So how can we change that? How can CEO mean short, fat, bald, uh, mobility device, blind, all of those different things? Because if Female, your CEO looks women. like that, the person who is the most important in your mind. I want to add one more thing to all of this, and it's, it's remind me what you said earlier about the C, looking at the C-suite and and how how the even the C-suite roles are often gendered. Um, some of the most important uh, people to represent an organization, company, or university, what or nonprofit, whatever we're looking at, um, are boards. And I don't believe are boards required to abide by affirmative action rules. I don't think they are because they, they are not in our country that I know of. I don't think they are, but boards, board, even uh, of schools, yeah, board, boards of directors, they make the decisions that set the tone for making a, an, a, a welcoming workplace, for making sure hiring is fair and there's not these crappy practices for uh, employment or for accepting students. And But boards don't have to abide by the same rules. So if you have the opportunity to help get more diverse board members in, that was likely to trickle through the entire company and change the culture of the company. So pay attention to those board seats and get good board representation. And, and I'll, I'll end with this because you made me think of another thing and hopefully we don't do this tip tech because we could probably just keep more thinking of more things. If we think about this thing, affirmative action is getting people in the door. What are we doing to keep them? This is the, we talk kind of calling back to that retention. If a ch company is, is wants to hire, we want to hire black people. We want to hire Asian people. We're, they're putting that out there, but they're not willing to open and change their culture. And it's just people have a hard time understanding tokenism. Just think about collecting people like baseball cards that, and you're right. like, oh, I, I don't have a black woman yet. Ooh, look at, let's get that one. You know, like it's, it's, and for our less sports ball people, uh, Spice Girl, tr tr uh, bubble gum wrapper. Spice Girls had a candy where you could collect cards of them, oh, and that I was something. Was I, didn't, card, I, but, I was not creating okay. them all, anyway. um, but I put them on the back. Like it was stickers. But one of the things is that we we will see people a revolving door of people because if you're not willing to change your culture, then you're not going to keep people. It becomes a really big problem 
for uh, women of color in the workplace, because like you said, this glass cliff or concrete cliff that they fall off of is the, the culture has not shifted any. And now you're asking people to work in a, a dynamic that does not um, fit who they are or their culture. So one of the things I do in a, in a workshop um, uh, that in, in talks about psychological safety is what happens when you bring new people into your group, right? We want it, you say you want an inclusive workplace. Okay, let's do that. What are what do you do when you come into a group of people? Are you are you do you have open culture or closed culture? Do you say this person's not a good fit? Or is your culture willing to adapt and, and grow and change um, for the fit to make sure that we can include more people and having an open culture. So that's that's kind of where I want to leave it. Is affirmative action reverse racism? No, I can't answer that question for you. But I don't think so. I, I haven't heard anything we've talked about today. I don't know what reverse racism even we're not even I can't even okay, we so here's, okay here's the thing here's the thing historically this is this is the last metaphor. This is the last thing we'll say for the fifth time. Um historically okay white people if you if you think about America as a pie White people have had like, let's be generous and say 85% of the pie, right? But white people are only 61% of the population. So when you're saying, telling white people, okay, listen, we got to reallocate the pie and white folks, you only get 61% now because you're 61% of the population and that's fair. And white people go, oh, I cannot believe you're asking me to give up so much of the pie. This is reverse discrimination. Woe is me. No, we're just asking for things to be fair, but because things have been so unfair in white people's favor for so long, it feels like we're being asked to sacrifice when we're simply being asked for equality. And that's what people need to realize. That's not discrimination to ask for that, for uh, to ask for things to be representational. That's not. It's well, just, when, it's really when uh, what, they, what is the saying, I think, when, when discrimination has been the the precedent, equality feels like um, oppression. Oppression. Yeah. yeah. So. so remember that. All right, nurse. I love you all. <laughs> <laughs> to my adoring fans. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, so thank you for hanging on with us even a little longer than we're usually here. We will be back in two weeks where I'm not even sure what's on the topic next, but I'm sure somebody can tell okay, us. Let's look it up. Let's uh, look. We'll be back in two weeks to talk to you all. We are a little, we just realized as we started this episode, we're a little bit more than halfway through the season. And El, Mel and I are going to have to go back and look and because we've already, I think, grabbed our whole third season by going, we should have put an episode on that. We should follow up with that. But we are on episode six of 10 for season two so what's coming up next mel what's our we are talking about um pronouns and trans identity we have an amazing guest for you all uh dr monica and um she's she's phenomenal she it we'll put we'll put a teaser with her bio on um facebook and everything but she's a she's a reverend and a doctor and an, a trans activist and she has just amazing things to say about, you know, being a trans woman of color. And we are, I'm really ex looking forward to hearing what she has to say. Exactly, me too. So you'll get more of an expertise because part of the reason we, we want to bring on guests is because we are not experts in everything. We don't have the lived experience in, in everything. And one of the things that we really believe is that you should hear it from the people who experience it every day. Um, so I'm really excited to have a, a guest on that's willing to talk about their experience and engage um, us 
as well as because we'll you know students in that along with you all as well so you'll see many things coming out um on our socials we'll uh post some of the some of the the two podcasts and i'll put a link to some of them um that we talked about um richard rothstein's the color of law and the podcast school colors because they are amazing um to listen to read and all of those things but until next time because it's late where y'all are and it's a little earlier but dinner time where i am uh, we can't wait to hear from you again or engage with you all again. And Mel, it's always great talking to you. As well. Likewise. I, <laughs> I was just about, to, I was just about yeah. to say, oh my gosh, we weren't very awkward during this conversation. And then I just completely stumbled all over my words and fell on my face. But as well, likewise to you also, friend. Also to you, likewise. All right. Until next time, folks, we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.